episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guarantee. So go check them out at linode.com slash ifreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to iFreaks episode number 218. This week on our panel, we have James Zuber. Hello from Minneapolis. Erica Sadoon. Hello from Denver. Guy Rombo. Hello from Brazil. And I'm Andrew Madsen. Uh, we have a special guest today. Our guest is Aline Sims. Aline, will you introduce Sure. Um, well, as you said, I'm Aline Sims. I am a podcaster, a entrepreneur, I guess, um, and also a volunteer at App Camp for Girls. Great. So we, uh, you and I met um, at, a, at a Relay FM meetup in San Jose. We were there for WDC, and I've been wanting to get you on the show for a long time. I'm really happy to have you on. Um, and I thought we'd talk about your business, which is uh, App Launch Map. Um, we'll talk about App Camp for Girls, too, because uh, I think that's a really cool thing that, that you guys are doing there. Um, but can you start by just telling us a little bit about uh, App Launch Map and what it's all about and you know what you do? Yeah, so App Launch Map is a resource for iOS and Mac developers to help them with the non-code side of launching um, an app. And whether that's an initial launch or an, you know, like a major update point release, if, if you're doing that kind of thing, um, I've got stuff in there to help you, um, working on building a course or, or something to kind of glom it all together. But now I have a blog that has, you know, a lot of different posts on it. And I'm also available, like, some, some developers and kind of take just take care of all of that stuff for them so that they can focus on writing the code, which is often what developers want to do, right? And um, I, I can kind of write the first tweet and the release notes and the um, app description and put a preview video together and do the screenshots and plan and the screenshots and all of those types of things can be a little bit overwhelming, say if it's your first launch where you're like, oh my God, I didn't know I had to have that too. So that's, that's App Launch Map in a nutshell. I love that you mentioned screenshots because like that's something I always struggle with because you can't just like take regular screenshots. You have to have like the nice status bar and good content in the app. I think that's often overlooked and it can take a while to, to get right. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that um, both preview videos and screenshots are... Um, kind of overlooked. People are like, oh, I'll just, I'll just put that together later. But I think they're both vastly important, especially with the new app store and iOS 11 preview videos, I think are essential. And, uh, screenshots, you know, if you just have random screenshots in there, people can get a feel for what your UI looks like, but they have no idea what it does and how it fu functions and what the user experience is. So, you know, it drives me bananas when I look through the app store and I'm like, 
I don't really get how this app works. You know, I get what it's supposed to do, but I don't know how I get from starting to whatever that ending point is. And so the thing that I tell people is your screenshot should tell a story. You know, just just plan it out, like take them through a user experience. Do you have a stepwise process for, you know, whatever it is? Um, so can you do, you know, step one, step two, step three? Or can you show like a workflow? What What is important to convey in those things? And how can you do it in a way that makes sense to someone who has no idea what your app does or how it works? The App Store has really evolved the selling experience over the last few years. Can you talk briefly about what has changed and how your services map into these new features? Yeah, um, that's a good question. What has changed? I think that the big thing is it's, it's really being able to sell your app now. I don't mean that in the give me money sense, but in the make people want to use it sense, you know, and I know we, we probably all know that app store is kind of like this reluctant thing that was added on with, you know, OS two and Steve jobs didn't want to have an app store. He wanted to have just the phone, you know, you've got this thing and it's turned into this amazing, beautiful, I don't know, like mass of humanity almost. There's so much variety in there. Um, but I think especially with iOS 11 in the new app store, again, I'll probably talk about it a lot today, that um, that Apple is really giving developers more control and more ability to sell their apps. The preview videos auto-playing um, in you know, search views is huge. It's huge. I've purchased apps where I've just like randomly searched for something and looked through them and like, oh, that looks fun and bought it. You know, I, I think that that's going to be a huge driver for, well, I'm hopeful that it's going to be a huge driver for developers. Um, you know, getting those screenshots, having five screenshots instead of what was it, three in the past is really, really hugely beneficial. Um, the being able to control whether you reset your ratings or not with an update is amazing. Um, so I really think that's, that's the core of it is that it's, you know, Apple's never going to cede control, but I think that, I think that they are giving developers more, you know, more freedom and more, um, more room to be expressive, I guess. At any of the Apple keynotes or launch events and so forth, you can generally expect now some developers to show up on stage and do demos. I think that the App Store ecosystem has become a really big part of the product. And with that view in mind, how do you go and support the people who want to become part of this ecosystem or who already are there? Really, it depends upon the person. A lot of times it's just cheerleading. Um, I do, you know, for app launch map, I do everything from help with 
user experience, like on a basic level. I'm not like a UX designer by any means. I have, you know, people I can get in touch with to help us out with that if if that needs to happen. But I help with user experience. I help tweak, you know, a word here or there. A lot of times it's just cheerleading and saying, hey, you got this. This is really great. This is amazing. You know, I really like the way you phrased this thing here. Um, most developers are pretty on the ball. So a lot of what I do is just kind of lift the burden from them of, you know, um, just fewer things to think about because, you know, you, you launch iTunes connect or you open iTunes connect. There's a lot that goes into the non-code side of things. And so that's really what I, what I do is I help, you know, reassure, like you can get through this, especially if you've never seen it before, like totally you've got this, um, to just like, this is perfect. This is great. I have, I have no feedback. You're, you're doing wonderfully. And, um, it really, it depends upon the client. It depends upon what they want. It depends upon where they are. Um, you know, for contracting, I tend to work with established developers, um, rather than launching new products. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it really depends, but a lot of it is just kind of relieving a lot of the burden. So where did the company come from? The company is fairly recent, correct? Yes. Yeah. I um I launched in May. It was actually kind of this thing where it was like, I gotta get this out before WWDC because I bought all the stickers and I bought the business cards and I was like, I've got to get this going. So yeah, it's it's new. It's something that I've wanted to do for a while. So I've done this um for a long time. I worked for Agile Bits, the makers of One Password, and I helped them with their Mac and iOS launches. Well, I didn't help them. I did these things that I'm doing for App Launch Map for One Password to work on App Launch, not App Launch Map, to work with App Camp for Girls. And then um, was thinking about okay, what 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 is my next step? And I do a lot of little things, but like, what is my next big thing? And came back to I really want to help developers. I have expertise and experience that um, that developers don't necessarily have. So I can do all of these things and it's it's overwhelming and intimidating. And I talked to some friends and they were like, no, I don't, I don't know. You know, developers can't necessarily afford to do this. And it, you know, so there's been a lot of like over the course of a year or so kind of deciding what that business model was going to be. So this is a relatively new business, isn't it? Can you tell me, actually tell all of us more about how you developed the business and where it came from? Yeah. So I launched App Launch Map in May. So it is, it is pretty new, but I am not new to helping developers with these kinds of things. Um, I worked at Agile Bits. They're the makers of 1Password, uh, for a couple of years. And that was a large part of my job was getting through Mac and iOS launches was, um, doing the release notes, doing the app store description, uh, making sure the video is still relevant, making sure the screenshots were up to date. If any of the UI changed, all of these things that I do for developers, I did it one password for two years. Um, and then I took a break so that I could focus on organizing app camp for girls in Phoenix, which is where I live. And, uh, you know, during that time was like, what, what am I going to do? You know, I, I need a next big thing. I've got, you know, I need to make money, honestly. Um, I need, I, I need, 
to do something and I don't want to find like a nine to five job, I think is something that a lot of developers are familiar with, especially, you know, my, my audience, the Apple launch map audience is like, yeah, I don't want to work like a nine to five in an office. And so what can I do with these skills that I have to help people? Because that's also something that I really wanted to do. My heart is with um, the Apple developer community, it really is. And I want developers to have their best chance at success. But what I would do is I would look through app store descriptions, app store pages, product pages, and have, you know, like I said about screenshots, no idea what the app was actually supposed to do or how it did it. And I was like, I could do so much better. I could help them do so much better. And so, you know, my husband and I talked about it and I talked to some friends and it was kind of this you know, from a contracting perspective, it's probably, I'm probably not going to be able to get enough work to, to get a full-time income. Um, so what is it going to look like? I need to have a product that I can sell. Um, so, so that's kind of over a year or so we, we kind of evolved the idea from just being like a thing where I contract with developers to help them to, yes, contracting with developers to help them, but also building a product that they can take and use as a resource as they're going through first-time launches or updates. So what type of things can developers do better for their apps if they're launching an app? Um, I think my number one, um, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, have a preview video. Um, It doesn't even necessarily need to have sound, but since they autoplay now, um, they are, they are hugely, hugely important. So have a product video that shows people what it does. Make sure your screenshots tell some kind of story, um, you know, establish a sense of place. I have a post on the blog that, um, talks about like telling a story. And I don't know if you've ever looked at real estate photos, but, um, sometimes, uh, you'll look at photos for a house and you'll have no idea how the house is laid out, you know, and they'll have pictures of the, you can tell it's upstairs and then it'll be next to a picture of something downstairs and you have no idea. You can't get a feel for what the house is like. And so if you're house hunting, you might not necessarily want to go look at that house because you know, it's confusing. What if it's not worth your time? Um, real estate photos where they walk people through room by room and tell the story of how that house is laid out are much more compelling. Screenshots are the same way. If you can walk someone through and kind of hold their hand through an experience, people are going to be more likely to um, to download your app because they'll feel like they have a handle on what it is. The other big thing is find a friend who can write well and have them proofread everything your app description, um, your release notes, your websites. I can't tell you how many times I go to, to sites, um, or, or app store pages and see like huge grammar errors or huge, um, like continuity errors, you know, like you're reading and it's like, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand what's going on. Kind of the same as screenshots. So have someone, who is maybe unfamiliar with your app, who can write well or, you know, write semi well and say, hey, will you look at this and just make sure that it all makes sense and that I don't have any glaring typos. And I think that'll give you a leg up um, over, you know, doing everything yourself. Even if you write really well, have someone else read what you do. That makes sense. Now, you mentioned that you did a lot of the stuff for Agile Bits. Are there any differences working with like a large... You know, high-profile app launch and the, the smaller app, app launches? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's vastly different. And the thing to keep in mind with 1Password is they translate the app into, I, I don't even know how many languages anymore, 60-some? I mean, they they are worldwide and huge. Most of the developers I work with are regional. So they're working, you know, in the U.S. And they're just launching in the U.S. on that U.S. app store. Um, so that is vastly different. Like just the scale of getting screenshots together for one language versus, you know, I don't know, even 10 languages is massively different and far less stressful to do a language or two than it is to do a lot, even when you're automating. So that, that is a big difference. I've got to say one of the fun, fun things about working um, working on 1Password, besides the people, the people are excellent, but is launch day because it's a high-profile app. So it tends to get a lot of uh, footing in the media and a lot of like people talking about it on Twitter. So my favorite thing was writing release notes and then having people talk about the release notes. It, it was just... You know, it's not very often as, you know, a, a technical writer, which is what my training is in, to have someone like excited about something you wrote. So that was always a lot of fun. I, I have a couple um, questions. I, I uh, started as a developer back in the days when before iOS, when the Mac sort of indie developer scene was still a still the thing in the Apple world. And I, th I think things were just a lot different back then. Um, I put out a press release with the first app I launched, which was not exactly high profile and got on the front page of macworld.com and all a bunch of stuff, which just would not happen today. Um, and I, and I actually kind of wanted to ask you what, you know, how are, um, how are things different on the Mac specifically from iOS where the app store is maybe not as dominant because it's not the only option. And I don't know, the Mac app store is kind of, Mm, trying to be polite, but not so great compared to the iOS app store. Um, what do you see there? So honestly, I don't have people approaching me about the Mac app store or Mac apps in general at this point. Um, it really, and this is not to be discouraging at all, but it feels like um, as, hard it, as hard as it is to be noticed for an iOS app, it's much harder to be noticed for a Mac app. And I think... One, there's just scale, right? How many billions more iPhones are out in the world than Macs? Um, so just from a how many eyeballs can potentially be on this thing, it's it's vastly different. The Mac App Store experience is not super great. And yeah, it's it 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 is a challenge. It is a challenge. And it's something that I think about quite a bit is how can I help people with Mac apps? Because honestly, I haven't I haven't done it. Um, and, uh, it's just so hard to get noticed right now, uh, for, for Mac, especially. I've got a Mac app that I'm working on, so I may have to enlist your services when I'm done. Although would be happy to at the rate I'm going, we'll, we'll see when it is. <laughs> oh, I get that. I totally get that. Apple will have discontinued the Mac and gone iOS only by the time I'm done. <laughs> I, I'm sure. Um, how do you, and I, another thing is back when I was, uh, first launching my first app, there, there was some, there was some PR company that was specifically kind of targeting the Indie Mac, uh, community. And I don't remember who, I can't remember the name now, which bugs me because I should know it, but, um, I think but, you're, you're, you're thinking of PR Mac. I think that's, yeah, 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 name. I am. And I don't know if they're still around. I can't yeah, think of the they, name. Yeah, they are. I, I use their services. Well, you need to switch to. 
<laughs> no pressure. <laughs> but actually, really, really, all PR Mac back then was was a um, they just they would just basically help you get a press release out in front of a lot of different people. I don't know if they they may do more than that now, but and, and that's something you could you could hire a PR agency to do even now. There are PR agencies that are not at all you know a- app specific or anything. They just do PR. Uh, how how do you sort of differ from the traditional PR agencies that somebody could go and make a deal with? Well, I'm, I'm more comprehensive for one thing. Um, I can do just PR and I do just PR, but I can do a lot of other things too. So I can put together the press kit. I can put together, you know, a, a press re- release. I can reach out to members of the media, but I also very intimately know um, the Mac and, uh, and iOS devices, I'm, um, you know, I, I live on Twitter. I live on kind of the Twitter development side of things, even though I'm not a developer. So, um, I, I think that's, that is something, and I don't know PR Mac, um, but that's something that is a differentiator is like, I'm very deeply involved as me and not as app launch map. You know, I'm very personal. I'm very like what you see is what you get for better or worse. So I would, say based on that description that I'm probably more personalized and um, also that I'm more comprehensive. So I can help you much more in depth than just sending out press releases. You told us that you work primarily with larger firms. What are the, what's the difference in terms of working with the app store for a Uh, large firm versus a small firm? Okay, that's actually an, um, untrue. So I must have misspoken, and I apologize. Um, I mostly work with indies. I work with, you know, an individual developer doing a thing on the side, um, or I work in, you know, maybe a small firm of one to three people. Um, really, one password was my big experience with uh, with the large scale side of things. I much prefer getting to know the developer um, very well and being able to assess what they need rather than going through, you know, kind of talking to someone who then has to relay things to, you know, an upper echelon of the company who has to relay things back down to me and around. Like I just, um, I, I like direct contact. Um, and I like, um, I think part of it is impact too. Like I know I'm having a larger impact on the smaller firms than the larger ones. So yeah, I, I really love working with indies. That's, that's the whole thing with my, with my business is kind of trying to help give them a leg up. And I also think, and I hope I don't get this wrong also, but you mentioned that you're more likely to come in mid phase through, you know, something that's already been released or already, you know, close to being released rather than at the start, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't I don't help with, you know, like inception and thinking of like initial UI UX, you know, scope type things. Uh I definitely come in, you know, I have a launch in, you know, preferably like 3 or 4 months or longer depending upon the thing. Like if I can the sooner I can get started, the better it is for everybody. Um but yeah, I come in kind of after um, things are established and you've kind of got an idea of a launch date and we can totally be flexible on that um, because I know I know how development goes and I, I know the, the dates can be fuzzy, sometimes for the good, sometimes not. Um, 
So yeah, I, I come in kind of toward the end of things and um, before things are really finalized, but that's when I, when I start helping. And then I, uh, depending upon the project, the developer, the contract, I see it through until I send out press releases. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I come. So when you walk in, there's already a product story. There's already an identified audience, or do you help people develop that? Typically the people I work with have a good idea of what that is. Um, I honestly, from a contract perspective, do not tend to work with developers who don't have an idea of what their story and their audience is. I am, I'm very choosy about my clients. And what makes a good client for you then? Okay. Well, a good client is communicative. So I, I actually, the only way to get in touch with me is through the contact form on my website. And that's, it, it really exists to, yes, give me an idea of the product and, and what the developer needs, but also, you know, can they communicate well? Do I understand what's happening with the app, what the needs are based on this email? How many clarifying questions do I need to ask? Do I need to ask any? And I've got to say the people, um, everybody who's reached out to me has been really, really communicative. I have not turned down a client yet. But if, you know, someone comes in and they answer these, you know, kind of broad sweeping questions with two or three words, they're, they're not the client for me. They need to find someone else to help them with that. So that's my number one thing is communicative. The other is, are you respectful of me and my time? Like just from a very basic, you know, human interaction perspective, um, I've had clients who even things that are written in the contract, they asked me if it was okay to offload it to me. And I'm like, yeah, it's totally okay. Um, and that, that was unnecessary, but I appreciate that you're considering me and my time because I do other things too. You know, I'm, I'm contracting it. You are not my full-time job. And so that is a big thing. The other thing is it has to be a product and app that I believe in. You know, if it's, if it's something ridiculous, if it's something scammy, if it's something, you know, if it's, I don't know, a crass game or something like that, I'm probably not going to, uh, to work with that developer. And that's just because of me and what I'm comfortable with. And that's the thing I love about being, um, an independent kind of like PR content strategist person is that I have the freedom to, you know, be selective. It kind of sounds to me that what you're describing is basically a client code of conduct. Yes, that is an excellent way of putting it. I never thought about it like that, but thank you. That's, that's amazing. And in that, do you see that evolving in the contractor community as well as the developer community to help guide these uh, contractual relationships? No, I think people are always really surprised to learn that I am selective about clients. And I've got to say that I'm really privileged that I can, I can do this because I have other income streams and, you know, this is not my sole, sole job. But no, I, I don't see the community like going in this direction very well. They're always like, you know, what do you mean you're choosy about your clients? And it's like, I don't, it's not worth my time to be involved in, um, in a bad experience. Like I'm going to end up losing money. The developer is going to be unhappy. And so it's just better for everybody if I am selective. Do you see this kind of 
interaction as being something that applies to the whole developer community? Or do you bring something to the table specifically as a woman contractor that puts a different twist on it? You know, I think that you hit the nail right on the head. And something that I, I was also going to say is I think that part of it is I have to be selective because I am a woman. Um, and, and that's why it is so important to me that I contract with people who are going to be respectful of me, my time, my abilities, because I have had these interactions with developers who who like I've, I've been in arguments with with people where I'm supposed to be, you know, the expert in the space and they're com they've completely, you know, steamrolled me, I guess, basically. So, yeah, that I, I do think being a woman in tech is a driver of, you know, my selectiveness and, and my staunch, you know, my, <laughs> my staunch outlook on what I, the way I approach things. I know you, uh, and I mentioned at the beginning that you work with App Camp for Girls, um, which is, of course, I, I think probably a lot of our listeners know about App Camp for Girls because it's, uh, I'm happy to see that it's gotten, uh, I don't know, quite a lot of support, I think, from the community, at least from where I'm um, sitting. But I, I'd like to know more about that. Like, what's the goal of App Camp for Girls? What do you do with them? How can we help? Yeah. So right now, we're kind of at the tail end of an Indiegogo fundraiser and I'll make sure that um, I send a link so that it can be in the show notes. But what App Camp for Girls is, it's a five-day summer program where we bring girls, transgender kids, and gender non-conforming youth um, into this kind of immersive development experience. They're entering the eighth and ninth grades, so we're getting them like right before high school in the U.S. anyway. And the reason we do it then is it's because that is when studies show that girls specifically start to lose interest in tech, um, well, in STEM careers in general. And that's both because of a lack of encouragement and a lack of mentorship. So what we do is we bring these kids into a classroom um, with mentors and, you know, everybody who volunteers is a woman, transgender or gender conforming. Um, and we take them through a development cycle and we say, OK, you're developers now. Congratulations. Um, by the end of the first day, they write um, a Hello World app because you can't get started in programming without writing a Hello World app. Um, and they do that in Swift Playgrounds on iPads. Um, by the end of the second day, they'll have a calculator app. Um, just like a basic thing in Swift. Um, by the end of the week, they will have split into teams of four kids and they build their own apps. You know, we have a, a basic template that they have to follow because we put these on the app store at the end of the summer um, in a compendium. But yeah, they, they do app development and they do everything from coming up with the what the app is within, you know, the template guidelines. Um, they write their artwork. They create all of the content. They do all of the UX and UI. They, uh, they're working in Xcode on MacBooks, like professional tools. And they even do presentations at the end of the week to a panel of, uh, again, women, gender nonconforming and transgender uh, local 
professionals um, who basically they, they present the app and then this panel can give feedback, suggestions, and mostly praise for what the kids have come up with. And it's just a way to kind of show them, yes, they can do app development if that's what they want to do. It also shows them that a career in tech isn't just sitting down and writing code, that it's, you know, UI, UX, uh, con- you know, all the content strategy, all part work tech. And it also shows them that there are people like them in this space already, that if they enter a career in tech specifically, they won't be alone. You know, there, there, are, there are women, transgender and gender nonconforming people here. Where is App Camp for Girls? That is an excellent question. Um, so we were based in Portland, and the first camp took place in there. Then we expanded to Seattle, Vancouver, British Columbia. Phoenix was two years ago. Chicago was last summer. And we're looking to add um, three more cities in the next three years. And that's what the Indiegogo fundraiser is all about, is kind of making sure that we have the money to buy equipment and train volunteers and secure the space and all of that thing. So all of that stuff so that we can um, expand. Oh, that's really cool. I, I actually, um, I knew, knew that it started in Portland and had expanded to Seattle, but I don't think I, I realized that it had already expanded farther than that and, and that you were going even further. That's really cool. Yeah, that's, that's our goal. We talked about maybe just kind of keeping it where it is and kind of unanimously decided, Hey, how about we, um, how about we expand? We continue to expand. And I assume it's all volunteer based. The people that are actually, um, you know, running the, running the thing and teaching are volunteers. Yep. Um, the only paid positions right now are we have a director of curriculum who's kind of the person diving into Swift and, you know, deciding what needs to be taught and how, and also uh, an executive director. Uh, volunteers do get stipends for their time, um, but it's nothing like, you know, being paid a salary. It's, um, you know, it's a little bit of money and it helps. But yeah, it's it's almost 100% volunteer based. So how does App Camp for Girls fit in with groups like Technovation that do similar things? Um. Well, that's a good question. So it's, we are unique in our format. Um, we have a, a comprehensive, you know, comprehensive, but also contracted, um, development cycle. Um, so we, we, our goal is not to say, Hey, you need to be like a developer. It's, Hey, here are all the things you can do. Um, you can, or, Sorry, we are unique in that, as far as we can tell, we are the only transgender and non-binary youth that on iOS devices because we use, you know, obviously Macs for Xcode, but we are creating iOS apps, um, specifically like iPhone-sized apps. So, as far as we can tell, we are we have our own like unique spin on it. I'm not familiar with uh. Tech Innovation Challenge or um, some of these other programs, but we have done a lot of research to see, like, you know, are we are we different enough, you know, to to do this? Is there a place oh, we can go cool. to see apps made on App Camp for Girls? So it, at the end of every summer, we put uh, we compile the apps into a compendium and we put it on the App Store, and I can make sure you get a link to 
um, our page on the App Store so that you can see all, I think it's four years worth of compendiums at this point. So you can take all, all the quizzes and, you know, see all of the stories that they've come up with. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, is there anything else we should cover before we wrap up and get to picks? I, I think I'm okay. I feel like I've talked about a lot. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm actually going to go first because I've got to take off. Um, so I'll, I'll start with my pick and then I'll kind of, um, <laughs> let you guys fend for yourselves. I have just one pick today. Uh, and it's, it's probably kind of an obvious one that everybody already knows about, but I'm really enjoying the new season of stranger things on Netflix, uh, has given my wife and I something to watch on all of the days that Star Trek is not on, which is every day except Sunday. So I'm, um, happily watching that will be finished soon, I think, but, um, go watch it if you haven't already. I am waving my fist in the air because that was my pick. Mine too. Oh, we got a plus two pick. That's, that's wow. new. Also, l- let me extend the pick and if you can watch it on your brand new Apple TV 4K in HDR or on your iPad, uh, your late, uh, I think, late 2016, early 2017 iPad which supports HDR. I have the uh, 10.5 inch one and it's great. You can watch on HDR or you can use your iPhone 10 if you happen to have one. Very cool. So I'll do my pick real quick. I'm going to do a self-promotion pick. Got to notice this week that we are up for, we meaning the iFreaks podcast is up for the um, awards, uh, the Swift Community Awards with hackingwithswift.com. So check that out. We also have a panelist up for like the MVP of all iOS programmers, I think. Uh, that's not the actual thing. So, but Erica is up for Developer of the Year. So check it out. It's hackingwithswift.com. And there's a bunch of different uh, uh, categories that you can go check it out. And if you like us, you can vote for the iFreak show. Aline, do you have a pick for us? Um, I've got to say, I have a brand new favorite TV show and it's not Stranger Things, although I do like Stranger Things. We're two episodes in right now. Uh, but The Good Place is so good. It is my new favorite, favorite show on TV. I'm so excited that it's back so that I can watch it. So you are watching season two, to be clear. Yes. Yep. I've heard good things. Enough good things about it where I set it to record. So my wife and I will start watching it when it gets on. But I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard enough of the good things where I can say people really like this show. I was really yeah. skeptical, but I love it. Very cool. So that's it for our show today. Aline, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about App Launch Map. It sounds like a great tool to get, get app developers out there, get their apps out there. And with AppCap for Girls, which a lot of us, if you're if you're in the community, you've heard about, but you, we don't know that much about it. So it's great to see that it's expanding. And check out the show notes. We'll get those in there. So if you want to help out, um, help AppCap for Girls expand, we'll have a link in our show notes. So check it out. Well, that's all the time we had for today. So we'll see you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.